Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Monday. It is November 6th. Hope everybody is doing well. We have a absolutely loaded show. We're going to talk Packers. We're going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. We're going to talk about those Wisconsin Badgers. We're going to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers. All here for you. It should be a great show. Looking forward to delivering it to you guys. Before we get going, you know the deal. Make sure that you're following along on social media. We are on X, formerly known as Twitter, Tabby the Keg, Tabby the Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok, Facebook too, under that same name. Uh, and make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast. Uh, hopefully we got some new listeners in from the Marquette pod. Uh, thank you so much for all the engagement. I really appreciated that. Uh, I, I love to see the love from you guys. Uh, it means a lot to me. So if you are new to the program, if you're checking in on things, maybe you are a Bucks fan, but you're not a Packers fan. We do timestamp everything. So it's there for you. It's a four day a week podcast. If you are a Wisconsin sports fan, as well as a Marquette sports fan, we are here for you four days a week uh, and delivering you all of the Wisconsin sports content. If you like it, I would love a review, would love for you to subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you get your podcast. I will say this to you, I've said it before, but there are not a lot of places where you're gonna get an hour of unfiltered Wisconsin sports content, uh, no ads, nothing, nothing to pause us, no radio breaks, you're gonna get it all. And you're gonna get things that are not just the Green Bay Packers. I love the Green Bay Packers. We're gonna talk about the Packers in the open here, but it's going to be more than that. And for those who are keeping track of the schedule, for those who are tracking when we have pods this week, we have pods on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday this week. Mitch will be in a day early and then off Thursday and back at it again on Friday. Uh, If Craig Council does make the decision when I've scheduled the quote unquote off day, We'll be back and we'll be doing a podcast and it'll be a five day a week. So so how do you like them apples? That's, that is the service that I provide to you guys. All right, let's waste no more time. Let's talk about the Green Bay Packers victory against the Los Angeles Rams. Green Bay Packers had to win this game. I, I, there's no questions about this. This was a must win game for a variety of reasons. Number one, it's Brett Rippon. It's at home. It's Sean McVay versus Matt LaFleur, a guy that Matt LaFleur has absolutely cooked throughout his entire career, and he continued to cook him in this game. And the Green Bay Packers get a victory for the first time since late September. And it's the first victory that I guess is, well, is a double-digit win. It's not a dramatic comeback from Jordan Love. It felt a lot like what you saw out of the Chicago Bears game to start the season. Now, is the same hope and optimism that came after that game? No, probably not. But there were some glimmers. There was some promise there amid the question marks. I think there are still things that are frustrating about this football team. There's stuff that's going to drive us wild consistently throughout this season. But I do think that there were glimmers of hope in that football game. And I think stuff to really, you know, kind of start hanging our hats on. And I understand it's the Rams. I understand it's Brett Rippon. I get all of that. But Aaron Donald was still on the field. They still had some talented defenders out there. They still had Cooper Cup out there. They still had Puka Nakua. Like, there were still good players out there. So we can say, yeah, it's Brett Rippon. But I, I do think that there was stuff to take away from, even though this game was sloppy, right? The Packers didn't exactly make it easy early on. It was ugly in the first half. Even if there was a little more crispness, the Packers were getting first downs, there was a little more motion to what Green Bay was doing. Green Bay had two drives stall because of bizarre offensive offsides penalties from Cleet Bakeman. My guy Clayton was saying that he thinks they're they're trying to punish the QB sneaks, which is very possible. But I, I do think that they're the Packers are gonna have to iron that out with line judge next week. If they want to keep doing sneaks, and it seems like they're a team built for the tush push or the brotherly shove or whatever the fuck you want to call it, they are built for it with the way Jordan Love is built as a person. I think it it helps Green Bay. I think it's something Green Bay can do on a pretty regular basis around the third and one, fourth and one area. So they need to get that right. And, and that is a huge part of the first half storyline because if that if those things don't happen, the penalties, which I think were bullshit. I, I don't 
really excuse the second one from running because if you already got called for one, wouldn't you have had that conversation with the line judge? I realize probably no one's interviewing John Runyon after the game, but like, how did you not like have that conversation with the guy and say, you know, maybe can we, can I just see what I'm doing wrong here? Can you explain it to me? Like, why are you calling offensive offsides? And he's right next to the fucking ball. That's the other part of this. So very frustrating. I think it's an awful call by Cleet Blakeman. And I don't know if we'll see those more as the sneaks become more prevalent. And basically the officials are trying to keep teams away from sneaking. I'm not sure. But I definitely think we have to remind ourselves that that first quarter, first half would have been a lot different. Elton Jenkins did say as much. But it still was ugly. There were still penalties. There were still things that the Packers were doing wrong. They missed a field goal at the end of a half, and it was seven to three instead of being ten to three. And really, if the sneaks happen, who knows? Maybe Green Bay has another field goal. Maybe Green Bay has another touchdown. Matt Lafleur mismanaged some clock at the end of the first half, which he's done a couple times this year, where he just his brain sort of turns off and he's like, "Oh fuck, I don't have Aaron Rodgers out there. I actually have to do this. I have to." This is part of my role. This is part of my responsibility. It's like when a person leaves from your job, like from your place of work, and you're like, "Oh my god!" Like I didn't know they did this. Oh, I have to do this now. I have to fill in for this. Oh, that's right. Like, and you just have to remind yourself. And then at some point, it gets sunk in. Hopefully, for Matt Lafleur, after another kind of mismanagement, it actually sinks in this time. But Green Bay was able to at least have a halftime lead for the first time in a, I think, since. They have a lead in Atlanta. I think they had a lead in that Atlanta game in week two, but it's been a long fucking time. And then they came out of the gates and Keyshawn Nixon takes back a kick. It looks like they're in perfect position. And then Dontravian Wicks fumbles the ball right away. And Aaron Jones, then on the next, I think it was on the subsequent drive, fumbles again. Now the Rams couldn't do anything with it because the Rams offense was a complete disaster with ripping back there. I think that I could have engineered at least a touchdown drive with Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. Maybe not, but I, I just expected more. Uh, McVay, it seemed like he was only running about five or six plays. Mitch kind of pointed that out in a group chat with us. Like, it did not seem like the Rams were doing a ton, extremely vanilla, and the Packers defense was starting to pick up on it. And, and that was a problem for Los Angeles. And they had their own turnover issues in this football game in the second half. And, but the, the fumbles didn't really matter. Like at the end of the day, it, it sucks they happened. It was frustrating that it did. You know, it was a case of Wicks, you know, trying to get a couple extra yards. I still did not get a great explanation on why the ground didn't cause that fumble. Like we have Dean Blandino. I know Mike Prayer is not doing it right now. And I, I don't want to speak ill of Mike Prayer because I think he got back surgery. They did like this whole soliloquy for him in the fucking fourth quarter of a close game between the Packers and Vikings last week. But, like, we have all these officials. We want to talk to them all the goddamn time, but we can't talk to them when it, it looks... Well, I think Blandino did come on for that, but he didn't explain, like, why the ground didn't cause that fumble because I thought I thought that's a rule, but apparently it wasn't. I, I still give Wicks credit for, you know, making the extra effort, and it's surely something they'll talk about this week in practice and just say, hey, when the weather's bad... Just take what the defense, take what's given you. Don't try too hard. And if you're going to reach, make sure the ball is reached out of bounds. So then if the ball does get out of your grasp, it just goes out of bounds. And that's that's no loss to them. Aaron Jones continues to have a, a little bit of a fumble problem. But again, it was a situation where, you know, trying to get the extra yard and the ball squirts out. Green Bay just has to be better with the football. But after those fumbles happened, Green Bay seemingly kind of found their stride and and really sort of started to feel confident. And it seemed like Green Bay kind of took a different approach than something we had seen all season. They had a little bit of a swagger to them. They, They just felt like they were comfortable with what they were doing. And it starts with Jordan Love. Jordan Love was really slinging the football in the fourth quarter and just started to kind of get into a rhythm a little bit. And we haven't seen that for the last five or six weeks, right? 
It's he's under duress. He's trying too much. And Jordan Love was just playing football out there. And I, I know that's rudimentary. I know that's simple. But I think that's exactly what Love needs to do. Like he just needs to go out there and ball and not necessarily think about every possible situation, every possible outcome. Did he have some bad moments in this game? Absolutely he did. He underthrew a deep ball to Christian Watson. He took a bad sack. Like Jordan Love is not God. He is not, you know, Gandhi over here. But I, I do think that in that second half, we started to see sort of what we saw weeks one and two, and even, you know, that fourth quarter against New Orleans. It was the first time where he felt comfortable. He looked the part of a quarterback, you know, of a you know, franchise quarterback. And this is exactly, I think, what everybody meant when there were the struggles. Like, there are going to be good moments. There are going to be bad moments. And Love finally seemed a little comfortable. And maybe it was because he had a lead. He knew his defense was going to protect this lead. And he could just play football. And I hope we see more of that Jordan Love. I hope he can carry that into Pittsburgh, which is an extremely tough defense. You know, arguably the toughest defense he'll face all season. And maybe, you know, this is a sign of progress, but obviously a long way to go. You know, Love could be awesome this week and then look like complete shit next week. And then we're having the whole referendum on Jordan Love yet again. Moving to the other side of the ball, the defense really showed some hot piss all day long. They were flying around. It was a ton of energy. It looked really good. Yes, I know Brett Rippon. I understand that, right? It's like, yes, Uncle Ravis. I know the catfish are big. Like, I fully get that it's Brett Rippon. Like, I, I totally understand that part of it. But think about this for a second. They lose Rasul Douglas. Every quote from the locker room was like, it was like losing a brother. It's like, we loved Rasul. Rasul was a heartbeat of this team. And Matt Scheiben, and look, Matt, Matt, you know, got to get clicks. And I'm not saying it was even clickbait, but Matt Scheiben kind of made it seem like the Packers were downtrodden about the Rasul Douglas. And that's how he wrote it. And he wrote like this sort of narrative, if you will, that they were going to be thinking about Sewell and not necessarily thinking about what was going on on the field. That was far from the truth. And then add to the fact you lose Rudy Ford and Quay Walker to injuries. Ford and Walker have been arguably the two two of the more consistent guys on this Green Bay Packers roster defensively, and they balled out, especially the rookies. And we'll talk about them in Golden Kegs. But this defense showed a little more passion, a little more swagger than what we've seen. And that's, to me, that's like a huge step forward. And it wasn't just like, okay, like third and long, it, it things went wrong. And now granted, if it's Matt Stafford, I don't know. But I'm still going to think it's something that Green Bay can hang their hat on. It's not something to just be like, okay, this is not going to carry over. Because you face Kenny Pickett next week, and as good as the Steelers' defense is, it, their offense sucks. They have a negative point differential. They are pulling games out of their ass. Mitch has compared them to the Milwaukee Brewers of football. And it's so true. They are just winning ugly, ugly, ugly football games every week. And so this defense, with all these young guys, can suddenly start building even more confidence, stacking those before you go into a real gauntlet of Justin Herbert, Jared Goff, and Patrick Mahomes. And now I shouldn't put Jared Goff in that, that same discussion, but the Lions offense is very, very good. And they beat up on bad teams. And some people would believe the Packers are a bad team. I don't know if Green Bay is a bad team. I think they are an average football team. I think they are somewhere in the range of seven wins to nine wins. I don't see how this team could get to 10 wins. And I know people want this team to tank and I want they want a high pick and they want Green Bay to be near the top 10 of this draft. Respectfully, it's too damn early for that. You guys need to chill the fuck out. And maybe I'm a meathead sports fan, but I always want to win, at least at this point of the season. Maybe in mid-December, if you know things go to shit and Green Bay has, let's just say five wins, six wins, Maybe I will be cheering for the competitive 
losses. We used to talk about that with the Milwaukee Bucks when they were tanking for Jabari Parker, Embiid, and Wiggins. Like we wanted the Bucks to like play well enough, be in it in the fourth quarter, but lose the game. And that's I think what we would kind of cheer for if Green Bay was truly bad. But right now, it's way too damn early. And you do not want a losing losing culture, a loser culture in the locker room. Like it would be so much more beneficial to the Green Bay Packers as a team, as an organization, if they made the playoffs, if they were the seventh seed or they got close to it and didn't get it again. And I know that would be frustrating. I know that would drive us all fucking crazy, but it would build on that winning culture. They'd understand what's what that is like. That would put a chip on their shoulder. That would make sure that Green Bay understands like, hey, look, like we're, we can build on this for next year. We can take this in the next season because Green Bay is going to bring back a fuck ton of their team next year because they are so goddamn young. So I do not really agree with this idea of, oh yeah, let's tank, let's tank, let's tank. And here's the other thing. It's again, it's so early. Like we have no idea how this is all going to shake out. Like the Falcons today lost an inexplicable game to Josh Dobbs who barely, he didn't practice for Minnesota. He was an emergency quarterback. Jaron Hall goes out early and Joshua Dobbs just has to step in and play football and they lose that game at home. What if the bottom falls out of the Falcons? Arthur Smith gets fired and the Falcons are suddenly a, a drafting in the top 10. What if the Chargers, it all goes to shit for them and they're, they're drafting like, we do not know right now in this season. This season is so young. Right now, the Bills, I, I think there's a real conversation to be had if Buffalo's a playoff team. As crazy as that sounds, right? Like, and look, they could figure it out. Everyone was throwing dirt on the Bengals. We're like, oh, the Bengals are going to miss the playoffs. Now the Bengals look like a fucking Super Bowl contender. It, it turns around so goddamn quick. And the NFC, everybody's bad. Every, I like, not, I shouldn't say that. That's a little flippant. But how good are the Eagles? The Eagles today, they probably should have lost to Dallas. Dallas should have won that football game. That was classic Dallas. I saw Jason Gay's like, every Cowboy game I watch, I expect something different, but it's the Cowboy, or it's like Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. It's the same thing every time. He's very accurate. It's extremely true. And the Niners can't stop, haven't been able to stop anybody defensively. They have injury issues. Uh, the Lions have not beat a good team yet. They're basically in that Dolphins-Cowboys category of frauds. So who's good? Who's good in the NFC? And, I, and I'm not saying like, okay, our, and then the Seahawks today, they get buried by the Ravens, 37 to three. So who's good in the NFC? Like, like any of those teams, maybe not Seattle, but any of those other teams that I just mentioned could get to the Super Bowl. And that's also to say like the, where the bottom is there, it's not that far down. The Bears and the, the Panthers are on, on that bad, bad side. But then there's like the tier of teams that I think where the Packers are in that it could be any of those teams that ends up as the seventh seed to the playoffs. Giants also would be in that. Chicago, as well as as well as well Carolina conversation as they just lost Daniel Jones likely for the season with torn ACL. And Tommy DeVito is absolutely horrendous. Like there's no way you can start Tommy DeVito next week. I don't know if I... I think the oh yeah the Giants have a three game road trip so they're I don't know where they're playing next week but you cannot have Tommy DeVito as their starter absolutely fucking not there is there is no way so as much as you want to throw dirt on the Packers they have a shot in this thing man uh, I don't think they have a shot in the division but the seventh seed isn't out of the question as we just outlined Pittsburgh's a vulnerable team uh, they are not good like they're good they find ways to win right but. Are, are they like elite? I don't think so. I think they're beatable. I think the Packers are going to be a live dog next week because Pittsburgh tends to play down to their competition. Matt Canada versus Joe Barry is two monkeys throwing poop at each other. I think I said that on Friday, but Bears repeating. It's That's what we're going to see. The Chargers, I don't know if they're really equipped to play in the cold. We'll see. Uh, and then if the Packers are even four and six, they basically they don't win one of those games. The door is slightly a yard still. But then you have to play Detroit, Kansas City. So you have to at least go one and one in that, that stretch. 
and then you're still alive. So they're not dead, man. And we, you can want to, you can bury them, but man, they're they're alive. And there was some promise today that makes you think like it's not just Brett Rippin. and that's makes me feel good, even though I still have questions. All right, let's move on to well, not move well, moving on slightly. Uh, we're staying in Green Bay, but we're gonna do Golden Kegs. Uh, if you're new to the program. Golden kegs is where we rate the game best to worst, five kegs being the best, one keg being the worst. Uh, we talk about you know not only stuff that happened in the game, maybe some other moments. Um, although I will say most of the stuff I have here is, is game related. One thing isn't, uh, but it, it's pseudo game related. Five kegs, Aaron Jones. I know he fumbled, man. I don't really care. Like Aaron Jones, 20 carries, 73 yards. He had four catches for I think like 26 yards. 26 total targets for Aaron Jones, or 26 touches, if you will, because he touched the ball 24 times. He was targeted six times in the passing game. Like, I just love the Aaron Jones usage. So maybe that's a five keg. It's just the Aaron Jones usage. Uh, he just really looked the part, and, and the Packers are a different team when Aaron Jones is out there really toting the rock. And we saw it against Chicago, and we saw it against the Rams. So in the two games where Aaron Jones was prominently featured, the Packers are 2-0. I do not think that that is a coincidence. Now, can Aaron Jones stay healthy? I think that's a major conversation, but let's just let's just see how it goes, okay? Uh, the, and, the, and it should be noted, the Steelers, as good as their defense has been, they've not been good at stopping the run. So Aaron Jones could have a massive day against that Pittsburgh front where Derrick Henry ate last week. So I, I really think that this could be kind of the start of the Aaron Jones era, if you will, as we always like, as all the Instagram girls like to say they're in their eras. We might be in the Aaron Jones era here in November. Other five keg, Carrington Valentine, as many said it on Packers sweater, dog. Like Carrington Valentine, awesome. Like he had a great game today. Uh, had three pass deflections, was all over the place with Puka Nakua. There were some great Carrington Valentine quotes from him and then from Jair Alexander as well that we can read. But I am all in on Carrington Valentine. It's It's been fun with the Carrington Valentine roller coaster. Like we were all about him in the preseason. And it's like, oh, classic, like preseason hype guy. We all bought into it. He was really bad to start the year. He got absolutely torn up in that Saints game. Uh, and then he's bounced back and he's worked on his craft. He's got a little better. Again, I, I want to see it against a good quarterback. Like even Kenny Pickett is an upgrade from Brett Rippon. I want to see what it looks like against Kenny Pickett. And then I want to see what it looks like against Justin Herbert. So, uh, but I'm excited. And he really played with a great passion out there. And he was, he, he was tremendous. And here were some of the quotes. So this is from Jair Alexander and Carrington Valentine. I uh, said this. Man, 37, played like a top-tier corner in the league, and it's exciting to see. He will continue to do that because that's the standard now. I cannot be more happy to play alongside somebody like that. And then here's what Valentine said, who I missed when he gave Puka Nakua the Dikembe wave. That would have been a nice one for the uh, uh, game review, uh, but I, I missed it entirely. Uh, and he gave the Dikembe wave, uh, forcing incompletion in the first half. I'm here, honestly, I watch film, I know what it is, I'm here, I'm here to compete. He had a lot of hype coming into this game and I took the challenge. And then Ryan Wood followed up with Valentine and said where the swagger he showed after dropping you know, to the seventh round. It's forever a chip on my shoulder because I feel like it was a lot of people who aren't better than me. I have a list of people in my phone that went before me. My thing is being the last one in my draft class standing. To be honest, I just feel it's not too bad for a seventh round draft pick. Fucking love that. That's the type of shit that has been missing from this Green Bay Packer defense. Guys who are just assholes. And I mean that in the best way possible. And guys that can back it up. Like sometimes Jair talks a big game, but doesn't exactly back it up. Like Valentine backed it up. Now I want to see it in more games, but all in, all in on what Carrington Valentine is selling me. Uh, Carl Brooks, another rookie. It, we got to play back the pod. I got to find the podcast. If you guys remember the draft pod that Murph and I did, 
we were all about Carl Brooks. We talked about how much we liked Carl Brooks. We thought Carl Brooks was a dog. We thought he was a guy that could have an immediate impact for a team, was kind of getting disregarded because he played in the MAC, but he was just an absolute game wrecker for that Bowling Green defense last year. And Carl Brooks is wrecking shit. And Carl Brooks had his breakout game with Kenny Clark going down with an injury. Uh, we really saw what Carl Brooks can bring to this defense. And man, it's kind of nasty with him, Devontae Wyatt, and and TJ Slayton. Like that's a that's a pretty fearsome, you know, three. And then you have Col- Colby Wooden who had a couple moments too. Like again, very young, but it's it's exciting. And Brooks, Brooks is a little older too. Like he was a guy, I think he was a senior coming out. So yeah, I, I loved what I saw from Carl Brooks. He was absolutely wrecking shit, you know, against the Rams the Rams running backs, not, you know, the bells of the ball, but still. Anthony Johnson Jr., another seventh rounder, played really well at safety. I I felt like he had an interception in this game. He had a couple pass deflections. You know, he also had a major hit on Tyler Higby, uh, which was, I think, the hardest I've seen a Packer safety hit a guy in a long time. Like, Savage has had a couple, but Johnson brought the wood on that. Uh, I really like what I've seen out of Anthony Johnson. And I, I don't know if he'll, you know, Rudy Ford maybe will change things, right? But I don't know, man. I, I would at least give Anthony Johnson some more snaps. Find a way to get Anthony Johnson out there. I don't know if he's fast enough to play in the slot corner uh, where Kashawn Nixon has struggled. I want to talk about Kashawn Nixon here in a second. But I, I would love to see more Anthony Johnson Jr. snaps, even with like Rudy Ford and Jonathan Owens, who actually played pretty, I thought pretty well as well. He didn't make the list on the kegs, but still. Uh, last five kegs, 1840 and Cabbage Rolls. Shot at 1840, my favorite brewery here in Milwaukee. I, I think you guys probably know this if you're longtime listeners. I'm pretty superstitious. Uh, I did actually not wear Packer gear this week because I've ran through all my Packer gear. I've had a loss in every item of Packer clothing that I've had so far this season. So I was like, okay, we are going no Packer gear. We're going to see how it goes. It, we're one and oh, guess what? We're not wearing Packer gear next week either. Um, and I was like, okay, I don't have any Miller Lite. Like I'm out of light beer, which rarely happens. I'm just a calamity, uh, bad planning on my behalf. And I usually don't drink craft beer because craft beer is kind of, you know, things haven't usually gone well when I want to enjoy a couple crafts when watching watching the game. I don't know why. And so I was like, all right, well, fuck it. I want a beer. I didn't really drink much yesterday. And I had 1840 with uh, some of my, my wife's cab- my wife's grandmother's cabbage in law, cabbage rolls. I was trying to butcher that there. But I had that combination, man. It was all of a sudden the Packers were, were rolling. And so 1840, you're, you're in the club, man. You're, you are part of the Miller Lite gang. So I, I really appreciate that. But yeah, those are the five kegs. It's nice. It's also nice to just have multiple five kegs, not being all miserable when we, when we do this segment. Let's move on to the four kegs. Four kegs, got to give credit where credit's due, Josh Myers. I thought Josh Myers had a really good game. Like, he was moving people. He was getting out in space. He was finding guys to block. Like, Josh Myers has been a guy that all the organizations, like, oh, this has been his best year. He's really playing well. And, you know, all, you know, sort of the analysts are like, I'm not seeing it. And there's been a, a conflict there. And maybe this was the first time where everything's starting to come together and we're starting to pay attention to see what Josh Myers is doing out there on the football field. And it was a really good game from him. So kudos to Josh Myers for creating space and making shit happen uh, and deserves it, right? Like if we're going to criticize and we're going to be assholes about certain guys when they play well, we have to at least acknowledge that. And that's what we're doing here with Myers. Isaiah McDuffie, I thought, played really well. Uh, you know, played that off linebacker, Quay Walker position. Played pretty well. Like, yeah, he was he had nose in there on a few different runs. Uh, was in the backfield a couple times. Uh, really solid stuff for McDuffie. Uh, and he's had, a, he's had a decent year. Like, he's not the best coverage linebacker. I don't think he can kind of be that green dot linebacker, what Devondre Campbell is. Which And I think when you have Campbell there, it kind of 
takes some stuff away. It makes it a lot easier. And again, kind of what we talked about with Jordan Love earlier in the show about like, he doesn't nearly need to think that much. And I think that's why you saw a solid game from McDuffie. So good stuff from him. He continues to progress and, you know, look look a little bit better than, than what he was last year. And, and that's, again, all you want. And then Luke Musgrave, also for Craig. Uh, he had three catches, 51 yards. Uh, the awesome play design by Matt LaFleur where they had the screen set up and then Musgrave leaks out and Jordan Love finds him for as easy of a touchdown as you're going to get. Musgrave's able to bring it down. He stays on his feet. He gets into the end zone for his first touchdown. Uh, he also had a great like 25-yard catch from Love you know, as a dragger. Uh, it, it was good stuff. Good, good stuff from Luke Musgrave. And he continues to kind of start coming on. And I, I think you're... you're really close from a Luke Musgrave breakout. Like, I think he could have a Dalton Kincaid game sooner rather than later. Like, I feel like we are one or two weeks away. We just need a team who can't cover tight ends, right? If Derwin James goes out with an injury for the Chargers, which can happen at any any fucking moment, um, yeah, that would be a, a situation where then all of a sudden Luke Musgrave's eating against the Chargers in a couple weeks. We'll have to see. But yeah, good stuff from him. Uh, three kegs of Jordan Love. I, I, as I said, like I felt like there were some really nice stuff from Jordan Love in the second half. Uh, but you can't ignore, you know, the late first half situational stuff where he takes just an absolutely brutal sack. He had a couple bad misses where we're at guys' feet. He un- feet, <laughs> not feet. He underthrew uh, Christian Watson on a ball that easily should have been a touchdown. Again, it's it's a learning curve, right? Like it, we just have to embrace that there are going to be the bad moments and there are going to be the good moments. Solid enough for Jordan Love here today. Uh, three kegs also to Keyshawn Nixon. Uh, I, as I said earlier, like Nixon can't cover in space, okay? But sticks his nose in the run. Was good with that. He had some moments where it was getting in there. Uh, had a, He blew up a, a jet sweep with Brett, Ben Skoranek early on in this game that kind of set the tone. He also had a really good kick return. He's going to break one here soon. Like I, I think we're on borrowed time where Keyshawn Nixon's going to house one. So I, I don't know if you can do a pack. You do a def- Packer defense special teams touch, anytime touchdown at some books. I think I would lay that bet sooner rather than later. So yeah, Keyshawn Nixon, really good stuff. Dontravian Wicks, uh, only a three keg because of the fumble. Uh, He had a nice day. Four catches, 49 yards. It seemed like he was out on a lot of snaps. I love to see the snap count from Domofsky tomorrow to see, or today, I guess, where Wicks lands. Like, if he got more snaps than Romeo Dobbs, it kind of felt like that. Uh, The the relationship between Love and Wicks is definitely building. Uh, He just seems to always be open. Uh, And that's, that's what you want out of a wide receiver. And he's definitely making... A name for himself and getting more comfortable in this Packers offense. Two kegs, John running over Sean Ryan. I, I didn't understand this. So Sean Ryan comes into the game. He's a top 100 pick for the Green Bay Packers. He just starts moving people. Like he's on Aaron Donald. He's on the Rams interior line, which is pretty good besides Donald. And he's just moving guys. And the Packers are running it down the Rams' throat. And they run six straight times in the red zone and get a touchdown. And you'd think, okay, Sean Ryan, Wally Pipp, John Runyon. John Runyon had a little injury, went in the tent, whatever. No, we put John Runyon back out there. No, John Runyon did all right, right? But, like, don't you want to see what you have with Sean Ryan? Like, what what are we doing here? And this has been a frustration for, the, for me with the Green Bay Packers, and I think frustrating for a lot of you guys, where it's like, we sit on our hands and we wait and we wait and we wait. And then we always are like, oh my God, this guy's actually good. Like how many, how much more do we need to see? Like, I just want to see Sean Ryan out there because I, I think he deserves it. And if you're telling me Josh Myers is playing the best of his career, okay. Again, he played well today. We'll believe you. But why not try Ryan over running and see if you can get a little more out of that run game? Be interesting to see if maybe Ryan works with the ones and it's a little more of a competition this week after what they saw on the field against Los Angeles. We'll have to see. Uh, another two keg uh, to Jair Alexander. So I know Jair you know, made a comment about that's the standard top tier. I, I, look, there were a couple moments where Jair got his lunch eaten. Uh, it, it's... 
it's an interesting, you know, scenario we're in with Jair. Uh, you know, I know he has a back injury, but he just, and he said he felt really good. And it's like, if you felt really good, then you shouldn't be giving up, you know, these third down plays. Like you need to be that lockdown corner. You need to be the guy that they're not throwing the ball towards. And that's not exactly the case. I know he had the nice tip, you know, that caused an interception, but I, I'm just not seeing it this year with Jair Alexander. And a lot of, I think a lot of Pack fans are out on Jair. Big matchup with the Steelers next week in Deontay Johnson, who had a great game uh, last Thursday night. Uh, he is, that's going to be a premier matchup. Uh, Valentine versus George Pickens. George Pickens also, by the way, deleted like all of his Instagram after getting like two passes. And that was the issue with George Pickens. If you want to know why the Packers didn't draft George Pickens, it's because he's a walking fucking red flag because he's an absolute diva. And he's diva it out, like paying tribute to Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown probably is looking at it and being like, yep, this is how you do it in Pittsburgh, man. Uh, but I, I definitely uh, was something to monitor. But yeah, it's, Jair's going to have a big test on his hands with Deontay Johnson. I feel like if Jair wants to get back into Packer fans' good graces, he puts the clamps on Johnson. And I think we're, we're starting to have that conversation. All right, let's wrap it up with the one kegs. Uh, Christian Watson's injury issues, uh, as my guy Shafty said, did this guy not drink milk as a kid? Christian Watson had a back in, back injury, a chest injury, and was evaluated for a concussion. What like what's what's Christian Watson doing in the offseason? Like, is he just doing like yoga? Is he not actually lifting? Like, what what's going on? Like, why is he so fucking brittle? That it just seems inexcusable to me. And I, I know it's like, Charlie, you shouldn't rag on a guy for an injury, but how many fucking injuries do we have to have here before there's a conversation about what he's doing to get his body right and what he's eating? Like, you gotta do something different. Like, at this point, you have to see that, you know, your body is just not, however you're treating your body, it's not the right thing. And you gotta definitely address that sooner rather than later, or you're just gonna be an injury prone wide receiver. Now, guys have, have been injury-prone to start their career, and then they've as they've figured out their bodies and understood what it takes to be a professional athlete, they've figured it out. So I'm not exactly throwing out the idea of Christian Watson as a wide receiver one, but yeah, it's it's definitely you know something to consider. Uh, second half fumbles and penalties, we kind of talked about that already, uh, but definitely one kegs. Moose Johnson, I, I kind of like Moose. Uh, I, I have a joke on running joke, my guy Seth, where I say, does Moose even know where he is? Uh, because guys had a lot of concussions. So let's just let's just be honest. And Moose was just such a dickhead to the Packers today. Like sometimes I, I, I and maybe it's I'm overly sensitive, but like everything the Packers were doing, he was like a disappointed dad that caught his son jerking off to porn. Like I, I just didn't understand the vitriol from Moose. And maybe he was feeding off Adam Amin, noted Chicago resident, noted Bulls announcer, good guy. But let's let's just be honest here. Like there's a probably a tinge of him that gets him excited to watch the Packers struggle. Let's, let's just call it what it is. So maybe he was feeding off of a means energy, but yeah, I did not like the Moose Johnson game today. And now might see him again with Joe Davis. Uh, Joe Davis probably back doing it next week. So maybe maybe it'll be a different you know Moose Johnson. But I, I did not like what I saw from Moose. It was very much '90s Cowboys Moose. Like he still was you know had farm flashbacks. And now great they beat us. So I like I don't know why they'd be mad, but who knows? Uh, and then lastly, Kenny Clark's injury. Uh, that was obviously the lowest of the low leaves the game with the shoulder injury. Now, maybe, you know, I guess the positive in me would say maybe they ruled him out because the Packers had the game in doubt. They are in hand. They wanted to see what the rookies could do. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's a rough injury. Um, and shoulders, you never know. Right. Uh, so maybe it's just a separated shoulder and that sometimes is like a one week, two week injury. Or if it's something obviously significant, like a torn labrum, that's done for the year. And we don't have Kenny Clark, and maybe not. That might be his last snap as a Green Bay Packer. Uh, his contract's up. Packers have drafted a bunch of defensive linemen. Usually that's the classic Packer way of saying we're not resigning a guy. So I hope that's not the case, but we'll have to see. And hopefully Kenny Clark is going to be all right. But yeah. Hell, it was great to, uh, to I sounded like a Southern. I was like, hell, 
it's like hell it was great to but it, seriously it was great to talk about a packer victory man and hopefully we're gonna do this more like i i want to keep winning I, I as i stated earlier i don't want draft picks i want to win i want to go to the playoffs i want the fucking division like we're not doing draft pick shit at least on this podcast i'm sure there will be people who do that so i'm sure you could find one but you're not you're definitely not gonna find it here all right Let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. Talk a little basketball, a little, we're gonna have like a basketball sandwich. We're gonna talk about the Badgers after this. Um, and so we're, we're sandwiching the basketball in between the football. I don't know if that would even, what, like how, how could you describe that sandwich? I'm not sure. But anyways, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks played the New York Knicks on Friday night. Uh, they, were able, they were victorious, 110 to 105. Probably should have been, a 10-point victory for the Bucs, if we're just being honest here. But they got it done. They found a way. The Knicks keep scrapping. Uh, the Knicks are kind of never dead. Tom Thibodeau doesn't really allow for that. Uh, and I have a, a few takeaways from this game. Uh, a lot of things actually stood out from this one. It was kind of too bad I, didn't, I don't do Saturday pods, right, or post-game pods because I, I felt like there was a lot of meat on the bone after this one. Uh, number one is... Brooke Lopez dropping in, goes into drop coverage, and the Bucks get eight blocks. They only allow 105 points. Uh, immediately changes everything. And Adrian Griffin said, you know, players came up to me, said they, you know, we need to get in the drop and we need to kind of, you know, add this to our repertoire. And lo and behold, the Bucks defense, you know, was basically fixed, right? We, we saw uh, the version of the Bucks from last year. They, they told Griff, like, hey, if it's broke, don't fix it. And I would imagine that what's going to happen here is you're going to see the Bucks play drop for a while, right? You're going to see the Bucks in the drop defense for a little bit here. And you're going to let Brook hang out around the rim. But what I would imagine is then he'll start bringing in some of his pressure. Adrian Griffin obviously pushed a little too far and they reevaluated, they made those adjustments. I have some Adrian Griffin stuff I wanna talk about you know, as one of the takeaways. So I'll, I will save that there, but it was a great, great defensive game from Brooke Lopez. He was all over the place, was throwing, get, throwing stuff out of the club, uh, eight blocks after only blocking, I think, two shots the first four games of the season. Just an absolute complete difference maker. Uh, and I think something you'll you'll see for the Bucks, you know, this week. Uh, so it'll be very curious to see what happens against the Nets with their defense. I would imagine it'd be some some of the same. Uh, I did not like 10 threes from Brook Lopez, though. Let's never do that again. That that can go away. Like we do not need Brooke Lopez shooting 10 threes anymore, by the way. So that was like a classic three keg game. Like we did golden kegs, like Brooke Lopez defense, great. Offensively, not much unless he's shooting corner threes. Like I do think they found something with Brooke Lopez in the corner. But other than that, like we do not need 10 threes from Brooke Lopez. Now with Dame Lillard, now with Giannis, now with Chris Middleton. No thanks. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, speaking of him. Weird night. Uh, it was not exactly a great Giannis night. It's not a night where you're going home to your kids and you're saying, wow, Giannis was incredible. Or your wife or your significant other and be like, oh yeah, Giannis was just out of his mind. No, 22 points, seven turnovers. He missed three key free throws. He was hitting his free throws before that. He gets fouled on a three. I think the Bucks at that point were up four. And if Giannis makes those three free throws, it's like seven with about three minutes left, four minutes left. And he missed, missed all three. And it kind of changed the vibe of the game. And he, had, he kind of tried to compensate after that. Uh, he just did not exactly seem himself. Again, not a big deal. Like uh, you saw him in practice today. He posted a video on the socials talking about how nice he was. He was hitting jumpers over everybody, having a little fun at practice. Like he's fine, okay? Just was a weird night on the court. And that happens, all right? Like, you know, he was trying to force some things. Again, trying to get comfortable with Dame Lillard. Uh, Giannis touched the ball a little bit less. Lillard touched the ball a lot more. So, you know, just kind of adjusting to that role, I think is it's a process. And you're still gonna want Giannis to touch the ball, but there are some nights where you should give Dame Lillard basketball. And speaking of Dame Lillard, he closes it out again. 
We entered Dame time. Eight points in the final two minutes. He was on an absolute heater to finish that game. Finishes the game with 30 points. He was really impressive down the stretch there. Made 12 12 free throws in this game as well. Four for seven from three. The three that he hit uh, with like two minutes left was just absolutely absurd. Uh, Lillard, you know, does these things that just remind you how good of a fucking offensive player this guy is. And he was very clutch for this Bucks team. Again, we talked about this with the Philly game with Mitch last, was that last Friday, two Fridays ago. And we said, would the Bucks have won this game if Dame Lillard wasn't on the roster? And we both agreed and said, no. And I think the same conversation, I think they might be able to squeak this one out, but it would have been really close. It might've been overtime, it might've been something else. But the way Giannis was going, when those bad Giannis nights are there, you obviously need someone else to pick you up. And it, it usually would be Chris Middleton, occasionally Drew Holiday. But like, man, it, it was very nice to have Dame Lillard be that guy for the Milwaukee Bucks and really liked sort of what I saw out of that closing lineup in general. Like I felt like they really were comfortable together where it was Dame, Chris Middleton, Jay Crowder, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez. And it just really felt like the most connected, playing complementary basketball on both sides, both sides of the court, offensively and defensively, and just really, you know, made sense in general. And it, it didn't seem too slow. Like you'd think maybe with Crowder and Lopez, it might be too slow defensively. It wasn't. Crowder did actually really well against Jalen Brunson, which is another takeaway. Jalen's 45, Brunson that is, not all on Dame, okay? Like, everybody will say, oh, Dame's defense. Jalen Bronson gets 45. Dame is a disaster defensively. I think uh, there was a CBS writer, some nobody, who was like, oh, Dame's off to one of the worst defensive point guard starts of all time. Again, it's five games in. Settle the fuck down. I can't believe, like, this is a tangent. I'm going to go on it. But we have to stop treating the NBA like it's the fucking NFL, okay? That's just in general. It is a long goddamn season. We're going to talk about that a little bit in the last takeaway here before we get to golden keg of the game, tap keg of the game. But, like, it's, like, you got to stop treating it like the NFL. It's totally different than the NFL. We cannot be making these sweeping generalizations because things change, man. Things change so fucking quick. And the fact that the regular season doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Like six seeds, seven seeds can get to the NBA Finals. Eight seeds can get to the NBA Finals. It's more like hockey than it's ever been before. Seeding doesn't matter as much as it used to. Home court advantage doesn't matter as much as it used to, okay? So to like make all these broad assumptions is just reckless. And Dean wasn't exactly the guy that was on Brunson all the time giving him buckets. I think Beasley had a lot of them. Uh, and I, I was looking, someone had it over the weekend. I couldn't find it. I wish I did. Where it was like all the, the points that Brunson had against the Bucks and who were distributed. I think Dame was third on that list. And he had a nice defensive possession down the stretch against Brunson as well. And it's worth noting, just to keep it in the back pocket for the haters, uh, Jalen Brunson had 44 against the Bucks last year when Drew Holiday was his primary defender. So... Say what you want about Brunson, but like Holiday struggled with him too. Jalen Brunson might just be good against the Bucs. The Bucs might have a bad defensive game plan against Jalen Brunson. Happens. There are killers on, uh, you know, we, we call guys brewer killers all the time, but like they're Bucs killers too. Like guys that just seemingly get buckets against the Bucs. Happens, okay? And lastly, uh, the takeaways. So a lot of people were kind of giving Adrian Griffin shit about, you know, making the adjustments, you know, from his team. Like his team told him to do it. And they were like, oh my God, like I can't, I can't believe that. I can't believe that he didn't figure that out himself. I don't see it that way. Okay. And then he also made a comment about kind of being a deer in the headlights and, you know, all this stuff coming. Like, look, this is a extremely tough job. He is being put in a position where he's a first-year head coach with a ton of expectations. And it is not going to be solved immediately. Bobby Porter said it today after practice. It was like, this is not 2K. This is not immediately solved. Like, we have to start figuring this out. Uh, who is it? Damian Lillard, after the game on, 
Friday night was talking about how it's a process and we're all working together. We're all trying to figure each other out. I, I just I plead with you guys, let a month go by. Just give it a month. I, I look, I overreact too. I freak out about shit all the time, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, whether it's baseball. But I, I really think that we need to calm down. Like I, I really do. It's okay that great Adrian Griffin took the advice of his players. And Adrian Griffin didn't sort about, well, he's an assistant down right now. Now, granted, that might be a fault of his. It's all a learning experience. We have time. The Suns, before beating the Pistons today, were two and four. They lost to the, they lost to the Sixers. They have Devin Booker. I understand they have injuries. More injuries than the Bucs do. But still, like, is, are people calling for the Suns' head? Are we ready to just run the Suns out of town? It, it's just a process, man. And so I think with the Bucs and, and just we're hopefully going to see a good week this week. And to me, this is a big week because you have, you know, four games on deck against teams that don't exactly matter in the zeitgeist. And so it, you should be able to lay the hammer down. The question is, will you? So I want to talk about that. Before we do that, though, the golden keg and the tap keg, uh, after each Bucks game that we recap on the pod, we talk about who played the best and played the worst. Kind of similar to golden kegs, just a little bit of an offshoot of it. Uh, golden keg, obviously, Damian Lillard, uh, just the way he closed that game out. Uh, four, 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 seven from three, 30 points, 12 free throws made. Uh, awesome stuff from Lillard uh, in terms of this one. And it's why you get him. It's why, you know, he's one of the best clutch guys in the league. Tap keg Malik Beasley. Holy shit. They had the issues with Brunson. Only played 22 minutes. Zero points in general. Uh, was 0 of 2 from the field. Uh, I do not think Malik Beasley is long in the tooth for being the starter. Uh, definitely something to watch this week if the Bucks go with a new fifth guy in the rotation. We'll have to see. Uh, as for this week, it's a busy week for the Bucks. Uh, this is not a quiet week for the Bucks. So if you are just getting into basketball mode, this is a good week to do it. Uh, the Bucks are on the road against Brooklyn tonight for another one-game road trip. This NBA schedule is so goofy. Like I have no idea. Well, I guess because of this in-season tournament, like easily the Bucks should have played Brooklyn on Friday night in Brooklyn. And then play the Knicks at home on Monday night. But anyways, they go out to Brooklyn uh, for a, a one-game road trip with the Nets. They come home and play Detroit. Uh, well, the Nets have, have started out okay. Uh, they, you know, they're kind of doing what the Nets typically do, where they beat up the bad teams, but when they face the good teams, it doesn't exactly go that well. Uh, no Nick Claxon feels like a big issue uh, against Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, should be a big Giannis Brook Lopez game. Uh, they do not have much inside in terms of size. They also just gave up 124 to the Celtics on Saturday night at home. So yeah, that's that's not exactly good. Where they start, or they don't. Wow. They are smaller than I thought. So right now, they're starting five. Dorian Finney-Smith, something future buck. Royce O'Neal, who always goes off against the Bucs. So expect, like, if you want to bet against the Bucs, take Royce O'Neal's over in points. Mikhail Bridges, Dinwiddie, and Cam Thomas. Maybe they start Datron Sharp against the Bucs. Man, they are small. They're smaller than I thought. Oof. That's, that could be a huge, could be a huge night for Anto Kumbo. Uh, but yeah, the Nets 3-3, three and 0-2 three, at home uh, so far this year. Then the Bucks play the Pistons. The Pistons, Kate Cunningham, incredible. Uh, everything else has not been good for the Pistons. They started off where it was like, oh, maybe, maybe the Pistons are a little sneaky. You know, took the heat to the death, had a nice win against the Bulls. They they got their absolute asses kicked uh, three games this week, uh, or four games this week. They lost to the Pels, the Blazers, who little, I think the Blazers are a little better than people thought. But yeah, two and five so far this season. Uh, but it's it's been really the Cade Cunningham show. That's that's really been the story so far uh, with the Pistons. Uh, they have size though. They have Beef Stew, Jalen Duran. Like they are they are a big team. Uh, but I don't think they have the speed exactly tang with the box. This should be an interesting matchup uh, for Milwaukee again. One you can't take lightly. Indiana on Thursday. I hope Halliburton plays. Uh, the Bucks did not face Halliburton all season. 
Halliburton is obviously the next big test for the Bucks in terms of a point guard. Uh, we saw Brunson go off. Obviously, you worry about that with Halliburton. The Bucks have had the Pacers number for the most part uh, the last few years. Uh, we'll see if that continues. And then they go to Orlando to play the upstart Magic. My Magic, as Mitch would like to call it. Uh, the Bucks had a lot of success against that Magic team last season. Uh, they will look to keep that up. Uh, but that's it's kind of a tough spot. It's a Saturday, 5 p.m. start time. It's a little sleepy. Uh, I'm sure Mitch, we're at Friendsgiving on Saturday. I'm sure Mitch will try to make sure that that is on there instead of college football. will be an interesting uh, dynamic at the Friendsgiving, but we'll... Uh, We'll cross that bridge. But yeah, it should be an interesting week. It should be a 4-0 week for the Bucs. Uh, but I would probably say realistically 3-1. That will be my official uh, prediction for the week preview for your Milwaukee Bucks. All right, let's move back to football and talk about the Wisconsin Badgers and why I do not understand the freakout. The Wisconsin Badgers lost to Indiana 20-14. to uh, And I, I think that... If the Badgers had lost to Indiana like that with Tanner Mordecai at quarterback, with Braylon Allen at running back, with Chimray DK out there at wide receiver, I would have thought there was a good reason to freak out about this. But we just talked about Brett Rippon and the Los Angeles Rams. And really what the Badgers were dealing with from an injury perspective was too much to overcome. And I don't really understand why all of these Badger fans are losing their mind to losing to Indiana. Is it this like arrogance of, well, we're the Badgers. We don't lose to Indiana. If that's the case, get all the way out of here with that. Wisconsin is not the same team they were five years ago, okay? They're not that quote unquote powerhouse. I don't even know if I want to call them a powerhouse, but we need to kind of understand that, that that's not the same Wisconsin team. And the fact of the matter is, is that Paul Chris left the covered bear. And because there's a lot of defenders of Paul Chris and nobody wants to, you know, kind of shake up the apple card and say, this is a example of what Paul Chris and Jim Leonard did recruiting. And this is a causation of it, that the Badgers have no depth, that even though they brought guys in the transfer portal, they tried to patch it up, if injuries start happening, all of a sudden the boat's going to start leaking again. Nobody wants to fucking say it, but guess what? I will, because I don't give a fuck about Paul Crest, all right? And honestly, it makes me like the Badger football team more, because it's like, you, you assholes don't understand. Like, you do not get it, Okay. Like Indiana, while a bad team to start the season, okay, they they kind of started to figure some shit out. They took Penn State to the death. They were in that game. If Tom Allen actually had some fucking nuts, they might have beat they might have beaten Penn State in that game. And then Brendan Sorsby is a solid quarterback. He's gonna go in the transfer portal and probably go to an SEC school, but he, he's a solid quarterback for now for Indiana. Like, he's really good out there. And Tom Allen might get fired. And these guys probably like Tom Allen. He seems like a motivator. Seems like a guy that they want to play for. And they're trying to save his job. And they know that if they win out, which isn't unrealistic, if you look at Indiana's schedule, that they, they'll make a bowl. And I think they're pretty good academically. So if a team can't make it or they don't have enough slots to fill, five and seven might get them a bowl game. And they want to do that. They want to keep playing football. Look, when a team is at this point of the season and they're two and six, they can either say, fuck it and pack it in and go on quit watch, as the Color 3 podcast likes to say. Or they can play for their coach and they can play for their team. And that is what Indiana is doing. I do not understand this outrage. If the Badgers were fully loaded, I'd get it. But the backup running backs for the Wisconsin Badgers were a converted fullback and a redshirt freshman. When would, like Barry Alvarez, not dead, but Barry Alvarez has to be absolutely motherfucking Paul Crest behind the scenes. And saying, never in the Barry Alvarez era would there be a cupboard that dry for running backs. A converted fullback and a redshirt walk-on, or yeah, a redshirt freshman I think he's a walk-on Yacomelli. Like, nice kid, fine. A Acker brings the pain, makes fullbacks proud. 
They average, they got 101 yard, total yards against the worst run defense in the Big Ten. That's not on Wisconsin. That's on the talent. Wisconsin at one point had Melvin Gordon, James White, and Monte Ball all in their backfield. And there were moments where one of them looked like the best running back. And if you had an injury, guess what? You had those two guys. And that's not there right now for Wisconsin. That needs to be rebuilt. And so again, the holes in the boat are causing the leaks. And then you had the decision-making where you're like, well, why don't you kick it? You have this great kicker. Varkos has been very good. Apparently the Big Ten Network did not hear what the radio was hearing, which they have a sideline report. I don't know what the fuck she was doing. But Patrick Herb said on the radio as I was headed to an event at the end of the game and I didn't get to do a review, it's kind of a shame because I, I would have loved to do this in a review fashion. He said, like, Varkos can't go. Like, he has a back issue. Like, it's severely limiting what he can do out on the football field. And he looks in pain. And I don't know why the Big Ten Network didn't talk about it. Maybe they did. But there were people bitching, oh, why a badge kicker? Why a badge kicker? It's like, and Fickle didn't throw Varkos under the bus. He's like, oh, yeah, I got to reevaluate my decision making and all this other shit. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I wasn't a huge, like, Luke Fickle backer. I love the hire, but I wasn't, like, gung-ho about it. But it's kind of making me gung-ho because I think it's ridiculous that people are this mad about it. People don't want to, I guess this is going to sound even more mean, but it's like, do people watch college football week to week? Or do you just watch Wisconsin? That's That would be my question for a lot of these people. Because you just watch Wisconsin and you're like, well, they lost this shit Indiana team. But if you actually watch ball and you understand it, you're like, okay, this Indiana team was absolute dog shit to start the year. They found something with Soresby. Their quarterback they had, was, I forget his name now. I, I want to say it's not Trace Jackson Davis because that was the, the power forward for Indiana. But it was actually weirdly similar to that. Travian Jackson? I don't know. Anyways... He was awful. And they had a bad quarterback system. And then they bring in Soresby and it's changed it. And that's, sometimes that's all it takes. Brainlock didn't look comfortable out there. That's an issue. They threw the ball 41 times, but guess what? They had to because they had no fucking running backs. And that's where the talent is. I don't know, man. Like, at some point, you got to criticize Paul Crest. And you have to realize that the Badgers are where they are because the, the cupboard was left bare. I dealt with this with Buzz Williams and Steve Wojciechowski. And this is a frustration. We Well, actually, Marquette fans gave Wojo a little bit of a pass because Buzz completely hollowed out the program. And for basketball, it's way fucking worse. And it was before the transfer portal. And it was a disaster for Marquette for two years. Now, do I think it's going to be a disaster for Wisconsin? No. I think they'll recruit, they've been recruiting well. They Again, they're going to make sure that they have a running back stable. And they're going to figure this out. They also didn't have the, their actual back running back, Ches Malusi. So they're on their third string running back and their second quarterback, and they're down a receiver. And their kicker has back spasms. Yet we expect them to still beat Indiana. Get the fuck out of here. It's not Ohio State. It's not Michigan. Wisconsin's not at that level right now. Could they get to that level again? Yeah, maybe. But not right now. And for anyone to expect that is fucking ignorant. And that's just bad fan. I'm sorry. That's that's just dumb. Like, I, I don't know how you expected that out of, out of this Wisconsin team. I thought Wisconsin would have a good year, but it was pretty evident after that Washington State game, which obviously looks worse Washington State continues to kind of collapse this season, uh, that they did not have the depth. And and look, that's, that's part of college football, man. It's part of college sports. Like, if a guy gets fired, sometimes it's more than just what's on the field. Okay, wrapping up a very long Monday show uh, with the Brewer news that came out, and it's not about Craig Council. Mark Hanna gets traded. Uh, I felt like this is a very savvy move for Matt Arnold. Uh, look, it sucks to lose Mark Hanna, uh, or Kana, Kana, yeah, Kana, uh, since he seemed like a great dude, right? Like, really embraced Milwaukee, uh, would go to our restaurants, was a big fan of what Milwaukee brought to the table, but the Brewers didn't really have a fit for him. He's playing mostly outfield in DH. And right now, the Brewers are filled with outfielders. And Jack's trio is not even there. I feel like if he played more first base or the Brewers liked his first base defense, I think he actually might still be a Brewer. 
Now, the other part of this is he's 35. And what's crazy about baseball, and this is like statted out, Kyle Lobner had this in his article, like once you get to 35, like it just, there is a fall off. There is a steep decline with what you see out of players. And Mark Hanna is having that right now. And I, I, or not having that, but there is that opportunity that is on the table for Canada to really regress. And I wonder if that's, that's part of the Brewers logic and the part of what the Brewers are thinking about and saying, we don't trust that Mark Canna is going to have the 50 game stretch they had for us. And we're not going to overreact to that. And we're going to say, okay, we don't believe that you're going to be able to keep this up. Now, a guy like Carlos Santana, again, you could have that same trepidation, right? He's 37. But you could also say, okay, well, we'll give you a smaller deal and we'll continue to believe that you can do something like this in some capacity because you have done it. And maybe you're just an absolute ageless wonder. So instead of declining the option and losing the asset altogether, he finds a team that'll take him in the Detroit Tigers and they trade for a controllable double-A reliever who has some filth to his stuff. He has a cutter, he has a slider, he has a fastball. Blake Holb is his name. And he kind of fixed his control issues that he had. He, I guess, was a two-way player. So, like, he's not exactly, like, been a pitcher for his entire career. He's finally settled into that role. So he's still sort of fresh, still a little bit wet behind the ears. And he's already at double-A, right? Like he played, I think, 30 games for the Erie Seawolves. One time got offered a job there, did not take it. Life would be a lot different uh, if I did. Uh, but, and when I say that, I, mean, I don't mean like bet worse or bad or same or better. It's just, it would completely have been different. Another story for another time. Uh, not for like hour plus into the podcast. Uh, but anyways, so Hull will probably start up Biloxi. I don't think he's going to make the big leagues next year, but who knows? Maybe, right? Like relievers can move through, move fast through the system. Like if they see like, okay, fuck, he has something. We know we can work with it. I think if the Brewers are training for pitchers, they've obviously uncovered something. <laughs> and I, I would never give the Brewers a pitcher. Now, granted, it's American and National League and whatnot. And Tigers are like, okay, great. We get a cheap, you know, con, you know, basically replace Miguel Cabrera if they think he can be fine at first base. Um, a guy was DH, but you get my point. Like they, they could easily use Canna for kind of a veteran leadership. Tigers, I think, are a team that could potentially be a playoff team next season. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely understand it from a Tigers perspective. But if the Brewers want one of your pitchers, you should probably like look into it a little bit more and be like, hey, sure. Like, do we really need to give give away this guy? So I think a really nice move by Matt Arnold and. You know, first big decision and actually probably a, a better way to mitigate the fan base too. I think, you know, there was some frustration from the fans, but it's like, oh, well, we got an asset. Like, I don't really think that's the Brewers being cheap. I think that's the Brewers, you know, using that $12 million elsewhere, whether it's for Craig Council or for something else. I'm, I'm all about it. And speaking of Craig Council, uh, apparently we're going to get a decision in the next 48 hours. So as the council turns, we're going to hear if he decides to go with the Mets, the Guardians, or the Brewers. I'm telling you right now, if it's not the Brewers, this thing's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. I'm going to, oh man, I don't know, man. It's just going to be, I don't really want to think about the negative on it. I I, I honestly do not. Uh, I've thought about both podcasts. I always do kind of when there's big shit happening. Like, okay, this is what the podcast will be. This is what the podcast won't be. Um, But yeah, I don't, I personally do not want the negative. So we'll have to see. All right. We will be back tomorrow, probably a short show. Uh, it's been, we're like on an hour streak. We've been doing three straight hour podcasts here, uh, but we'll have importance rankings for the month of November. Uh, we have some November content coming out this week. Uh, so stay tuned there. And then we will uh, we'll talk about the Milwaukee Bucks against the Broken Nets. We'll talk about the Marquette Golden Eagles against the Northern Illinois Huskies. So good, going to be a good show on Tuesday. So stay tuned for that. I hope you guys join us for that. I hope you guys enjoyed today. Have yourself a great Monday. Going to be a beautiful day here. 64 in the great city of Milwaukee. Well, I'm in Brookfield, but you get the point. Close enough, right? All right, I'm out. See ya. Bye.